coming up on Marriage Today with Jimmy and Karen. Today's anger is manageable. There's nothing wrong with it. Yesterday's anger is a very dangerous thing. And it's toxic. And anger is the most destructive force in marriage, period. It is the most destructive. That's why we have to be so respectful of how we get anger out of our relationship. If we're going to have intimacy in our marriages, we're going to have to deal with this issue of anger. Anger is inevitable, and it's normal. It's just a normal response. There's there's not something wrong with you because you have anger. God gets angry. You will never be so spiritual that you don't get angry. No one gets to that level, not even Jesus Christ. Jesus began and ended his ministry by being angry and cleansing the temple. And so God gets mad, we get mad, we just have to get to a point that we understand we get mad. But it's toxic. Anger, anger, today's anger is manageable. There's nothing wrong with it. Yesterday's anger is a very dangerous thing. And it's toxic. And anger is the most destructive force in marriage, period. It is the most destructive. That's why we have to be so respectful of how we get anger out of our relationship. Now, great marriages have anger. Karen and I get angry at each other. That's not the issue. That's that's just the way it is. But we know how to get it out. Early in our relationship, when we almost divorced, we had bought, we had aged anger in our marriage that was there for years. And because of that, we couldn't talk about many things. We fought all the time. We had a cycle that we w- would go for a month or two and then have a huge blow up and then make up and go for another month or two. And by the time that the Lord began to heal our relationship, we were numb. We had fought so much. That's a dangerous way to live in a marriage. This is Ephesians 4, two texts in Ephesians 4. First of all, verses 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. The other text begins in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And so that's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 telling us about anger and all the ramifications. Here's what long-term anger does uh, in your relationship. First of all, it destroys feelings of intimacy, passion, and optimism. Now they came to Jesus and they were asking Jesus about Divorce, And Jesus said, it's because of the hardness of your hearts that you divorce each other. Okay, Hardness of your heart. Well, how do, how do people go from being passionately in love in front of a preacher to being vicious and contemptuous in front of a judge? One drop of unresolved anger at a time. Anger destroys the garden of your love. And you see this beautiful, passionate garden of your love... It's just, it smells good. It looks good. There's such optimism. You're dreaming of, of this wonderful life together, but you go to bed every day, another drop of anger, another drop of anger, and you wake up one day and your heart becomes hardened. That's how it becomes hardened. It's just one drop of unresolved anger. The other thing that unresolved anger does is it creates a habit pattern for us and an iniquity for our children. But Parents have the most profound influence upon their children. And one of the things that we need to do um, 
in raising our children is to let them see us resolving conflict righteously. Um, Judith Wallerstein wrote a book called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. And she was talking about uh, divorced people and the children of divorce. And when people have been through a divorce, they're more fearful of anger because it, they, they see anger as a potential of ending this marriage. Children of divorce are also more fearful of angry, of anger, and they don't know how to deal with it as much. The, the most powerful thing is, I know that many of you watching, many of you here have been divorced. The issue is, it's not a curse that has to happen. The issue is, we need to find a better way of dealing with anger. Because anger can be processed, but if it isn't processed, that's when we need to be concerned about it. Uh, I, was, uh, uh, I was talking earlier about, I was an intimidator. I did two things with Karen that were so unhealthy when I became angry. And the first is verbal. I would lash out at her verbally and those kinds of things. The second thing is I would stop talking for days. I just, it, basically, you know I'm mad when I'm quiet. Okay. And so when I got really angry, I just would go for three or four days without talking. So unhealthy, so dysfunctional, and I don't want to pass that on to my children. And I thank God that my kids were little, you know, when we started dealing with some of the bigger issues of our marriage, but understand you're the most profound example that your children have. And the way that you deal with anger is probably the way they're going to deal with anger. Throwing things, cussing, slamming doors, or sitting down, praying, talking, and having a rational conversation. Unresolved anger builds an intensity for future ventilation. What we can talk about easily today is going to be a knockdown, drag out fight a month from now. It builds an intensity and it opens the door for the devil. It says, be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down your anger. You'll give a, a foothold to Diablos. First of all, the devil, the devil is a deceiver, okay? Uh, the ultimate deceiver. Here's what the devil does that's so insidious. He wants to convince you that wrong behavior will be a right result. You can threaten divorce, you can cuss, you can yell, you can, you know, leave, you can do all this and that, and it's going to shake your spouse into doing the right thing and fix your problems. It, it doesn't. Doing the wrong thing brings wrong results. The second thing is he tries to convince you that doing the right thing won't work. In marriage counseling over the years, because I'm a biblical marriage counselor, when people come to me for help, I, I give them biblical answers, you know, things that the Bible says. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, Jimmy, you just don't understand my circumstances. That might work for others, but it just won't work for me. And, and basically what they're saying is the word of God will, is not powerful enough for my circumstances. And even though God promises this, I don't believe that that promise would be coming true for me because I accidentally married the devil. You know, and I mean, I know that that verse is true for most people, but I accidentally married the devil's ex-wife. And I just, so um, the devil is a deceiver. He's also an accuser. He accuses your spouse of evil motives. Okay, I want to say something to you. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Now, this is, this is important. If you've gone to bed on anger at anybody, you've been counseled by the devil and you don't even know it. The word devil is diabolos. It means accuser, slanderer. When you go, fresh anger is fine. I still love you. You're the love of my life. Everything's great. 
But when you go to bed on anger and you wake up, there's thinking that you have now that you didn't have yesterday. And I don't know about you. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe you're not the right one for me. The devil will accuse your spouse of evil motives. He will accuse them of being the wrong person for you. And he will accuse them of future actions they haven't even committed yet. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Fear is a prophet spirit from hell to give you a negative report about the future that will cause you to make a fear-based decision that God will not honor. So you're fighting, you're laying in bed back to back, not breathing, because you don't want to give your spouse the benefit of the fact you're alive. <laughs> and you're fighting, and all these thoughts go racing through your head. Right? And the movie starts playing out. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this and this, and they're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And the movie starts playing out. Guess who is in control of that movie? Diabolos. You, when you went to bed on that anger, you opened a door for Diabolos. And he comes. See, what makes the devil dangerous is stealth. He doesn't come as the devil. It would be so much more convenient if the devil came to us and said, uh, I'm, uh, you know, Satan H. Devil. And uh, I would just like to go ahead and come in, destroy your life if I could. And we slam the door and say, get out of here, devil. Wouldn't that be easier? But he slithers in like a serpent. That's why he took the form of a serpent in the garden. Because you don't notice serpents. You're dead before you know it. They blend into the environment. Satan's perfect disguise is you. And his perfect disguise is your voice. We have to learn to take our thoughts captive. And to discern the voice of the devil. And when voices come into our minds. Accusing God. Accusing our spouse telling us lies that don't agree with the word of God, we have to take those thoughts captive and kick them out. But when you go to bed on anger, you have invited the devil in. We were never designed by God to be a repository for anger. Anger, we are designed by God for anger to come in and out, never for it to stay. That's why the Bible is so insistent on forgiveness, that we, it, we can't endure it. It damages us on every level. So anger comes in and it goes and everything's great. Nothing's been damaged. When anger comes and stays, it is more corrosive than anything we can possibly imagine. And with that anger isn't just an emotion, it's a whole system of thoughts. And you find a person who's been angry all of their lives, they have so many toxic thoughts, it's unbelievable. Here, here's, I'm going to talk about conflict resolution here for just a minute. Um, when we're, when we're resolving conflict within our marriages, we need to choose the right setting, not around the kids. So the kids are going to watch us relate. The kids are going to watch us talk some things out. But for the most serious, the more serious conflict resolution, we need to be alone. Our emotions need to be under control. Don't wait till next week, but you might wait for an hour or two if your emotions are not under control. The second thing is begin every confrontation with affirmation. Now, this is research. Now, listen. A conversation never rises above the level of the first three minutes. The way you start a conversation dictates the end of the conversation. This is, this is research. So it, it's called uh, negative startup, harsh startup. If I start a conversation with you saying, let me just tell you something, I'm sick of you and I'm not taking this anymore and I've got my lawyer's number on speed dial, depending on the outcome of this conversation. 
and I'm, I'm threatening and like that. Hey, that's not going to be a good conversation, right? But if I come to you and I say to you, I love you, you're my best friend, and I, I'm so glad we're on the same team, and I'm committed to our marriage. I need to talk to you about something, but I want you to know I love you. I'm committed. Makes all the difference, doesn't it? Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. See, in Psalm 100, it says, we enter into God's gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. See, we're made in the image of God. Now, you can say anything you want to to me. You're not going to get into the gates of my heart without being thankful. And you're not going to get into the courts of my heart of hearts without praising me. No one who doesn't believe in me will ever influence my life because I'm never letting you inside. And you can be sitting with a person and there's a problem that you need to talk about. So you're never going to deal with the problem until you get inside. And when I'm thankful and when I'm positive, you're going to open your gates, you're going to open your courts, and we're going to be able to talk this thing out. But when I come to you accusing you, when I come to you angry like that, <laughs> there is not a way on earth you're going to influence me right now. So we're made in the image of God. If we're going to have a positive experience, we just have to get over the, get over the, the meanness, get over the, the thought that the wrong thing is going to bring a right result and start out positively. Number three, you, you, I'm talking about conflict resolution. Communicate your complaints and feelings without fixed judgments or interpretations. Let, let me tell you what I mean by this. There's a difference between complaining and criticizing. Complaining is talking about me and my feelings. Criticizing is talking about you and your behavior. So let's just, let's just say Karen said something that, that I didn't like. And I go to Karen, and, and here's two ways that I can deal with this. I go to Karen and I say, uh, you said this and this and this. I know why you said it. You're trying to get back at me for yesterday. I know exactly what you mean by that. And I just want you to know I don't appreciate it. You know, you're mean-spirited. And Karen's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I meant. Yes, you did. Or here's what I could do. I could go to Karen and say, Karen, you said something to me. You probably didn't mean anything by it, but it bothered me. And that's not necessarily your problem. I just want to tell you how I feel. When you said that, this is how it made me feel. And I just want to talk about it because I don't know what you meant by it. See, complaining means I want to tell you something that I'm feeling. But I'm not going to try to interpret it because I don't know what's in your heart. Only you do. Criticizing means I'm attacking you and I'm telling you how you're feeling. All of us get very, very defensive and offended when a person begins to accuse us. In other words, the judge and jury have met, and now all we're getting is the sentence. But we weren't a part of making this thing work. We also need to understand the difference between a specific complaint and globalizing a complaint. Okay, when I can complain, and you don't feel, you don't feel threatened by that. A specific complaint. Listen to these two things. You told me, this is a specific complaint. You told me you would take out the trash and you didn't. That makes me feel stressed out because I have a lot to do. It also violates me because you told me you would do it. Okay, that's specific. Okay, you didn't take out the trash. All right, here's a global complaint. You never do anything around here. All the responsibility is on me and you just take advantage of me all the time. See, a specific complaint is bringing up a cracker and handing it to your spouse and saying, we need to talk about this cracker. 
A global complaint is throwing an elephant in front of your spouse and saying, eat it. You never do anything. How am I supposed to deal with never doing anything? I can deal with a specific issue. And also, I want to tell the difference between men and women. Now, again, this is research. Men and women are very different. Women are much tougher emotionally than men. Much tougher. And men, we can't process information emotionally like women. Now, listen, research proves when a man's heart rate goes above 100, he can't hear and he gets disoriented. We, we're not, see, women are so tough. Women, women, can, women know their emotions. They can process their emotions. Women can just get in the, the trenches talking about the, every issue of life and back and forth and back and forth and afterwards go, anybody want to go eat lunch? <laughs> and men are pulling guns and knives and, you know, we're, we're at war. I mean, you don't ever say things like that to me. But women, women understand you're tougher than men. Emotionally, much tougher than men emotionally. We don't even know our emotions. And so when we get into a, a when there is a, 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 you know, an argument going on, you have to keep your husband's heart rate down. And by doing that, it's honor and respect and the tone in your voice and all things. Understanding it's not a fair fight. You're better than us. Proven in research. You know, in marriage, when you see the failure of a marriage, it's always about anger. I mean, when, when you go from goodwill and intimacy, and this entire seminar, the, what you saw today is from our Return to Intimacy seminar, is when you see a marriage begin to implode, it's always because you're not able to process your anger. In other words, you know, we all have anger, and a good marriage has anger. The, when you have anger in your marriage, it doesn't mean you have bad marriage. When you cannot process that anger, you're going to have a bad marriage. And that anger is going to continue to accumulate. It's going to continue to compromise your emotions. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, don't go to bed on anger because the devil will come. It says, will you give a foothold to the devil? And he'll slander your spouse to you. And I just want to say this in closing this program. One of the most critical things in processing anger in a marriage is giving your spouse the right to complain. See, the reason a lot of times that we have so much anger uh, toward our spouse in marriage is just simply because we can't talk. If, if I bring something up, and, and, and sometimes, you know, we bring it up unrighteously. So you have to be careful how you approach your spouse. You need to do so lovingly. You need to have the right setting for it. Uh, you, you need to make sure that you're not yelling or cursing or throwing things or anything. But we need to give our spouse the right to complain. And here's what it means. It means you can say anything you want to me and you won't pay a price. If you tell me my breast stinks, if you tell me I hurt your feelings, if you tell me, you know, I, I'm at work too much, I'm not paying attention to you, I may not agree with what you're saying. I may not understand what you're saying, but you're not going to pay a price for saying it. When we have people in marriage counseling, almost always they're saying to us, I'm, I'm telling you this, but if I said this to my spouse, they'd go ballistic. Well, here's my point. I want, I love Karen. I want to please Karen. I mean, she's my wife. I'm trying to meet her needs. I'm trying to, to love her. Why, why would I be so threatened to hear a complaint from her? See, early in our marriage, we had a bad marriage. Karen couldn't say anything to me. I'd go ballistic. I, I had an anger problem. And so did she because 
I wouldn't let her talk. And so she was bottling up issues that I wouldn't let her talk about. Well, we almost divorced. I mean, we, we had no intimacy whatsoever. Anger had d- destroyed our relationship, especially because we couldn't process it. There wasn't anything, you know, that uh, uh, unnatural going on in our marriage, but we just couldn't process it. The difference in our marriage today is when Karen and I have an issue, we talk about it. We know how to talk about it. And the most important thing that allows us to process anger in our relationship is just saying to each other, I'm not going to make you pay a price. I may not agree with what you're saying. You know, I may not understand what you're saying, and we're going to have to talk this thing out. But I love you, and, and, I, and I want to please you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to frustrate you. And you're, you're my wife. You're my husband. So I want you to know if something's bothering you, I want you to tell me, and you won't pay a price. Because I, if you don't say that, then something's wrong. You just don't know about it. I mean, you, you become more and more uh, frustrated you become more and more divided because there's something you're not allowing me to say. You're, you're not listening to me. You're not letting me complain. So the anger in marriage, we have to take responsibility for our own anger, but we also have to let our spouse talk about that their anger. And once you begin to deal with your anger, you're going to return to intimacy. And that's what this program's all about. Watch this.